0: Ephesians chapter five, we've been teaching on God's blueprint for family. Honestly, my whole purpose in teaching this is to help a lot of us deal with extended families in our life presently, but you can't just jump in there and explain why you don't need to pay attention to your brother who lives in the Poconos without understanding the foundation of marriage and why it is the way it is. And just because you were raised in the same household doesn't mean you may ever see each other again. Every culture has right things with family. Every culture has really perverse things with, culture, uh, with family. Every culture does. And what we need to do is make sure we find the Bible. Uh, every family on planet Earth at some point will probably use the family tie to manipulate somebody. I'm your mother. I'm your brother. I'm your child. Don't you love me? Anytime they start pulling that, don't you love me? You just shut that down. It's raw manipulation. Well, we're family. And I'll remind you, Jesus Christ said, who is my family? Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? But those that do the will of my father, which instantly helps us explain why we may be closer to someone we go to church with than we would our own blood brother our own blood sister. Because our real family are those that do the will of my Father. That's the words of Jesus Christ. So anytime family wants to start manipulating you because they are insecure, dysfunctional, or needy, you just remind them, serve Jesus, that makes us family. Because you don't have permission from God to stop serving him, to pay attention to anybody, even the not-so-Virgin Mary. Amen. 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 So we'll go there eventually, but I'm just trying to build the foundation of family. And I promised you we'd have this talk about intimacy. This is going to be a one-and-done subject though we could teach for several weeks on marital intimacy. But I want to help us some more uh, along these lines. Uh, one of the single guys texted me and said, Pastor, so this is for you married folks. Pastor, these married people got to get their act together because us single folks can't ha- handle these messages on sex. <laughs> so I want you to know, you marriages that are a little sexually dysfunctional, You're really taunting and tempting our single brothers and sisters who are like, what, you guys can have it and you don't want it? (laughs) To which I tell you single folks, you don't get it. Once you get on the other side of marriage, it takes a lot of work to keep all the plates spinning because the devil works against you both sides of the marriage covenant. And so Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at Adam's prophecy that Paul quotes. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. They too shall be one flesh. They too shall be one flesh. We have mentioned before that when God made man, he originally made man male and female. Genesis chapter 1 says that very clearly. And so we see the man walking around having both male and female inside of him. And then after a season, we don't know how long he's named all the animals in the garden. He's begun to establish his dominion and his authority that God causes the man to fall asleep and he takes the woman out of him. And now they're separate. And now we have the act of intercourse or coitus or lovemaking. The act of lovemaking is where man and woman come back together again to the original design, which is one flesh. That's why it's called one flesh. And it is a situation where it is so intimate and passionate, though it doesn't isn't always that way, especially in the carnal world, that it is two souls so knit together, they want to come together that they they want to, in a sense, push back together into one person. And the closest we can get is lovemaking or intercourse. We understand that it's face-to-face, body-to-body, hands to hands. You know, that's that's how this thing works. We get that. But the purpose is because originally man was. Two individuals, male and female, he separated them, and now we come back together in marriage. This also helps us build the doctrine of why fornication is so wicked. Because it's something's marital intimacy is so sacred, you don't just share it with every little fraternity boy, every little sorostitute. It's the reputation of them. I just nobody joins a sorority to stay clean. Or a fraternity, nobody joins a fraternity to pick up trash on the side of 111. We're acting like it's all private. I have no respect for fraternities. I have none respect for for fraternities. Amen. All right. I don't know if that shocks you. I'm a purity guy, I'm a holiness guy, I'm a clean living guy. None of that is in the vernacular of a fraternity or sorority. Now, I did want to join one when I was in college because I wasn't taught better. Please don't bog down on this. I don't want to stay on this thing. But you resist like that, and I have to just show you how you're wrong. (laughs) When I say fraternity, what's their reputation? Is it holiness? Is it prayer meetings? Bible studies? Evangelism? Is it drunken? Kegers? Hookups? Tattoos? Yes. Weed? Yes. Meth. Yes. Acid. Yes. All of the above. And sororities. You go to a sorority to learn home ec You go to a sorority to learn fashion tips. You go to a sorority to adopt a puppy? Or a kennel? So what's their at reputation? Same, is it not? Drunken. Kagers. Sex drugs, so then why would you join one? I mean, it's the best friend's money can buy. Don't get me wrong. And if you're paying money to be a part of it, how is it not prostitution? Prostitution is where you pay money for access to people to have sex with. All right. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page as Christians. Because I went to college with tongue-talking frat boys, and they didn't fare so well. Okay, 1 Corinthians. I feel like the last couple of services, you guys have been tracking Church of Christ on me, and I'm not real appreciative of that. There's a few good Church of Christ. You guys aren't acting like them acting a little stiffer, a little staunch, starchy. First Corinthians chapter 7. Let's just cover fornication real quick because I, 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 my, my heart this morning is not to get nitty-gritty with intimacy. My heart this morning is not to make our single folks burn in their desires that they can't fulfill. My heart this morning is to reveal the bigger picture of why intimacy is so great and also to troubleshoot any of our marriages that are not actively intimate and let you know how to troubleshoot that. We're going to look at Song of Solomon in the New English translation, and I'll let God's word be a little nitty gritty, Uh, but my my heart this morning is to awaken some of our marriages that are maybe a little bit on the cold side, and also fortify our single brothers and sisters to just keep hope alive, fight the good fight, lay hold of eternal life, and prepare yourself for marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I said 7, chapter 6. Verse 13, Meats for the belly, the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication. So why do you have a body? Is it to fornicate with? No, the body is not for fornication. But your body is for the Lord. This is why you should take care of it. This is why we also teach against obesity. Most preachers won't touch it because they're fat themselves. Brother Hagin said the quickest way to offend a believer is to talk about their money, talk about their kids, or talk about their weight. All must be touched by the local pastor for you to be sound in your faith. We have a ninth fruit of the Spirit called self-control. That will solve any appetite issue if you'll get with the Holy Spirit. Charismatics love the gifts. We hate the fruit. And almost every one of your gifts can be faked, but you can't fake fruit. You're either in self-control or you're not. You're either kind or you're not. You either have joy or you don't. We can fake prophecy. We can fake falling down. We can fake a demon coming out. It's hard to fake a miracle, but some have staged them. I even saw a video coming out of uh, Nigeria where this woman was supposed to have her arm grow out of this weird little nubby hand grow out, and this this you know false African prophet was shaking water on it. The video made the rounds. And uh, it looks very convincing, but I judged it. I said, mm, there's no sense in sprinkling water out of a water bottle on this thing to make this arm grow out. It literally started off, her hand was up here at her shoulder, and the thing grew out on videos, on YouTube. But I was scrolling through the comments. Always scroll through the comments. It's very entertaining. <laughs> you learn words, too. But I saw another name that was Nigerian. And it said, this is a gimmick. I've seen them do this before. They're a traveling team. She has a bizarre dislocation. She can draw her arm up into her body and make it come out. So there's a fake working of miracles and a whole crowd just screaming around them. But you can't fake joy and you can't fake peace and you can't fake faithfulness and you can't fake goodness or meekness, or self-control. You either are or you're not. Amen. And the Lord is for your body. Isn't that cool? The Lord is for your body. He is for your body. He's not against it. So all that Church of Christ and Baptist doctrine says, well, sometimes the Lord will break a leg, make you learn something. No, it says he's for my body. He's not against it. And God hath raised us up. The excuse me has both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His own power. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a whore? Paul is not afraid to call sin sin. Sex trafficking is perverse. So is the sex industry. God forbid. He does not speak highly of prostitutes here. They obviously need to be born again and repent. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a whore is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. So the act of intimacy is joining two families, excuse me, two bodies, two souls, two people together. And when you fornicate, you're doing that, but you're doing it unlawfully. And there's all sorts of bizarre spiritual implications. Our course, our culture wants you to be able to have sex with anything you want to. Even animals now. I don't know how you get consent. I was joking earlier, somebody about that famous horse that could do math. You know, it's two plus two, and that horse would like stomp his foot four times. I guess stomp once if you're consenting. This is where our nation's headed. And they think we're prudes because we teach purity. They mock the purity culture of the church. There's no greater honor or gift to give on your wedding night than your virginity. Now, if you've fallen into sin or got born again later in life, you can repent. And God can restore your heart. But uh, I'm, I'm teaching our children that they keep themselves for their wedding night. And they're only ever joined to their spouse. If their spouse passes away, God forbid, later in life and they remarry, they'll just only be joined to their spouse if they remarry. Amen. Amen. Don't be joined to a harlot, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit, flee fornication. So that doesn't mean there's any permission for it. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. So when you fornicate, this is the only sin I can find that is a sin against your own body. You sin against yourself. One thing about marital intimacy, there's no uh, diseases involved. There's no fear involved. There's no worry about unwanted pregnancy involved. Uh, one thing about marital intimacy, no abortions need to be involved. Nor should they ever be, even if you get into sin. Huh. You sin against your own body. Women can have so many perverse relationships and so many diseases, they render themselves sterile. They can render a perfectly healthy uterus and womb sterile through diseases, through the scarification of STDs. Uh, What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So I started in chapter 6 because it's one continuous thought. So Paul is talking about fornication, and while he's on the subject of sex, he says, let's go ahead and talk about sex in the marriage. So he just got done saying what we can't do, which is fornicate. What can we do? Have our own spouse. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. That ruins the American dating career right there. Be careful little hands what you touch. For our father up above, he is looking down with love. Be careful little hands what you touch. Let me take a really hard, strict line. I'll be criticized for it. but The Hebrew word for kissing it means to kindle a fire. Now, let's be very clear. There's one way you kiss your mama. There's a slightly different way you kiss grandma. And then there's a way you kiss your wife on the honeymoon night. So two out of those three don't kindle nothing. I mean, my grandma might even kindle a little bit. I grew up in the deep south. Everybody kissed me on the mouth my whole life. Grandma. I just part of it. Grandma. And you had to do it otherwise. Daddy beat you. Give your grandmother a kiss. Give, give your great aunt a kiss. Give your grandfather a kiss. Kindled nothing but resentment in my heart. And then there's that kiss where they say, you may now kiss the bride. And, and you, you didn't realize you had to have so much restraint. So here's my point. You can disagree with you want, but you'll get into sin later. I don't even believe dating you have any permission to kiss. Because according to God and the word and the Hebrew, the whole reason you start kissing is to start kindling the flames that end up in intimacy, and intercourse. Now some of you guys have forgotten about this, but it's called foreplay. Mama needs a lot more of that. The old adage is accurate. Men are a microwave, women are a crockpot. Men aren't even a microwave. Men are a jet rocket. You just, you're like a Fourth of July bottle rocket. Hit the fuse and run, and it might even jump six inches on that fuse and then go off, and you don't even know it. Mama's back there. She's still cutting potatoes to put in the (laughs) crockpot. So let me just set the high bar for you single folks. You don't even need to be kissing before you're married because you're thinking this ain't grandma when you kiss her. And you're thinking this ain't my dad when you kiss him. So it's instantly just kissing. It's starting a fire. That's why I'm proud of some of you. You've kept yourself clean and you get close to your wedding night and you're just like, you were pre-COVID. You were fist bumping and elbow knocking because you couldn't even afford to hug each other because even the hugs were kindling a flame. Like I've shared with you, when you're dating and you like the girl and your feet bump under the table at the restaurant, your heart goes pitter-pat. That's how sensitive and volatile this thing is. And then you've been married a year or two, and all of a sudden, get your feet off mine. <laughs> oh, how the tables have turned. So anyway, let's read for chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And of course, kissing is touching. It's just lip touching. And so, uh, yeah, be careful of that. I would, I would advise no kissing till your wedding night. What a testimony where you can say, not only did we not have sex, we didn't even kiss. Right. We barely hold, held hands. What? What, do you, what? It doesn't matter now, man. We're having sex five times a day. <laughs> and we honored God every step of the way. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. How, it's good to be good, is it not? Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. That is a, a, an exaltation of promotion of marriage. And let every woman have her own husband. That doesn't mean you marry the first thing you're horny over. That violates other scripture. This is just basically don't sit there and burn in lust. Get some self-control working. This doesn't negate because the fruit of self-control, because that's the same author, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Ghost. It's good to have a spouse. And the whole context of what we're moving into now is marital intimacy. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Um, One translation says grace thinking. Another translation says conjugal rights. So we are talking about sex here. Let the husband render unto his wife conjugal rights. This means that it's perfectly normal and acceptable for women to want sex Puritanical mindsets and Catholic mindsets have made people, women, falsely prudish. You're designed to want sex. There's nothing wrong with wanting sex. God designed it. We've said over and over again, who invented sex? God. Who invented your parts? Who invented them to work the way they work? Who looked at it and said, this is good? Who is glorified when it works as it should when he designed it to? So it's perfectly acceptable. When the husband has to be commanded to render to his wife conjugal rights, it means there's times she wants it and maybe he's a little too tired or too cranky. He's got to grow up. I used to think as a single man and a man in my 20s, eh, no way there's a marriage where the woman is not getting enough. It's always a man not getting enough. And then I started pastoring and I found out, oh, no, 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 no. It's many times women who are not having enough sex because of man. And I don't know what that man's problem is. We're going to try to troubleshoot you this morning or maybe just shoot you because there's because <laughs> there's something wrong when your wife is wanting sex the bible commands you to give her conjugal rights and you're just like nah please don't give your boss all of your resources all of your energy all of your affection at the same time wives if you always beat him down he's not going to be interested with you the bigger picture i want to try to communicate is that all intimacy begins in the heart, unless you're just possessed of lust. All intimacy begins in your heart. So even for a man to be intimate, his heart has to feel like he's desired. And if a man doesn't feel desired, if a man feels rejected, if a man feels beat down, he's not gonna be desirous, even though his parts are designed to be the aggressor, even though his hormones are designed to be aggressive. If he feels beat down or rejected, or if he doesn't feel like his wife desires him, he's not going to be interested. And listen carefully. You can, in a sense, emotionally emasculate him. He can only feel rejected for so long until he'll just shut down business altogether. And that'll be very hard, not impossible, but very hard to resurrect. So this is just as much a wife's responsibility too. I just know as a young man, just being in my mid twenties and dealing with ministry and thinking, how in the world could there ever be a marriage where the woman is not having enough sex? I always think it's the guys that are having enough sex, but I started pastoring and I realized, no, sometimes women aren't having enough. They're not having their needs met, but it may be because they've shot themselves in their foot with their Jezebel mouth, beating him down, putting him down, rejecting him, uh, just almost being selfish. Did you know selfish doesn't know sexual identity? It's, Selfish is in the heart of people. It's not a male or female thing. But likewise, let the wife render unto the husband sexual benevolence or conjugal rights. That's the one we understand regularly. I would also add this. This doesn't mean we have a right to demand or command or say, the Bible says you're to give it to me. That's no way to win anybody. Do you ask your boss for a raise that way? at least show your spouse as much respect as you would the the boss man the wife has not power over her own body but the husband and likewise also the husband has not power over his own body but the wife now if we're having sexual issues in our marriage the issue is not the lack of intercourse that's a fruit the issue is always going to come back to the heart And we could be brutes. We could be cavemen. We could be rude and say, you don't have a right over your body. Give it to me. But that doesn't troubleshoot why she won't share or why he won't share. It will always come back to the heart. It will always come back to the heart. He feels rejected. She feels rejected. He's been hurt. She's been insulted. We have to come back and figure out the heart of why. Neither one wants to share their body. And to force the thing, why would you want it anyway if it was forced? Because their heart's not in it. So even though she has no power over her own body and he has no power over his, if there isn't any intimacy, it's really a reflection of the connection between their souls. And I've done a lot of research on all this. There is such thing as sexual aversion. People are just averse to sex. It almost always comes back to trauma or abuse or rape. There's such thing as touch aversion. Some people just do not want to be touched. It almost always comes back to trauma and abuse and, and rape. There is even such thing as kiss aversion, where some people are just averse to kissing. It just it grosses them out. They don't like it. They don't understand it. And this almost always, from my research, comes back to trauma or abuse or rape And so we cannot rightfully demand things of our spouse if this is what's still plaguing their soul. So what you have to do in your marriage is go back and troubleshoot that. Now, if you're legalistic and you're running from stuff, you'll say, well, we're to forget those things that are behind. If you're not having sex in your marriage, these things are not behind. They're still in front of us. So please don't get legalistic on me because you're failing to catch the heart of the scripture. If you've repented and you've got victory, we forget those things that are behind. But if this thing is still affecting you from your childhood, it is not behind. Therefore, we cannot forget it. We have to face it. I think we understand the heart of that. So if there is a lack of intimacy in a marriage, and please hear me, single folks, marriages fight intimacy issues because they have human beings and they involved in them and they have a devil that hates them. Marriage is under attack. We get that. And sex is indicative of a healthy marriage. We should say healthy lovemaking. Let me also make the, the distinction. There's a difference between mutual masturbation, sex, and lovemaking. And what we ought to aim for is lovemaking. That's where your hearts are just super knit. That's where your hearts just are so passionate for each other, then the act that follows is not just masturbation or just the act of coitus. And I think we understand. One's going through the motions. The one is just just cannot get enough of their spouse. Cannot be close enough. Cannot be held tight enough. Awfully quiet in this church of Christ. (laughs) That seems to have babies too, you know. Everybody acts like, what? Yeah, we got 7 billion people on this planet. Somebody's having sex. (laughs) And I'd like to think a few of those folks are enjoying it. Okay. So if there isn't any sex going on, it's always going to come back to a soul issue. Mind, will, and the emotions. The heart has not been properly knit or it's been damaged. You can do this damage yourself after years of a healthy marriage. Or it could be you married into a broken heart. This is why after years of pastoring and marriage counseling, I don't think broken people should get married. Not until they're fixed. I don't think every Christian is fit for marriage. I don't think every Christian will ever get There'll be people who will never be fit for marriage because it's so much work, even when it is the will of God, when both people are healthy, both souls are healthy, there'll always be opposition that comes because the devil can see a healthy marriage and it's a target for him. So if there is an intimacy, we've got to address it in our heart. This is why we're not getting nitty gritty. But if there is an intimacy, there's a heart issue. So you have to start to ask yourself the problem. Is it how I view sex? Am I embarrassed of sex? Is this, did I hear my parents making love and that grossed me out? Were my parents fornicators? Were my parents wife swapping, husband swapping? I mean, is it the whole thing just gross me out? These are things you have to resolve, and the Bible will give you the answers for them. If you view sex as dirty, you need to renew your mind. Dirty sex is dirty. Biblical sex is not dirty. It's beautiful. Fornication is vile. Marital intimacy is not vile. You have to renew your mind. What what does the thought of sex do for your emotions? Does it excite you? Does it make you butterfly? And you're like, yeah, that's my man. can't wait to get home. Or that's my girl. I can't wait to get home. Or do you like, whatever. These are issues you have to resolve in your heart because those are improper biblical attitudes towards God's design. We've got to recognize that what we say about sex in our heart is just as important as what we say about the preacher. What we say about the word of God, what we say about missions, what we say about the lost, we have to got to make sure everything in our heart lines up with the word of God. And our views on every arena of life must line up with the word of God. And that includes marital intimacy. Amen. Now, For your single folks, you need to know we're talking about this because we have some sexually dysfunctioned marriages in our church. So I just don't want you single folks to think, man, I'm missing out. You may not be missing out on nothing. You may be in better position than some of these married folks because when there's a sexual dysfunction, someone's always hurting in the marriage. And the other thing that I have observed is that if the thing doesn't get fixed, you eventually will soulishly and then sexually emasculate one or both people. Now your marriage falls into a rut of a sexless marriage or maybe it's like camel sex. You go a couple months without it. I mean, I think camels have more sex than that, but I'm talking about, you know, they go a long time without water. When you force your spouse to go a long time without sex, you're destroying them. And you're also setting them up for demonic opposition. Because if it may be okay for you not to have sex, but you're destroying your spouse, who probably is the one that wants more of it, male or female, husband or wife. So Paul goes on to say that even the husband has not power over his own body, but the wife does. But wife, that should also encourage you. You you have permission to go in there and say, hey there, big boy. I think that's every guy's dream. (laughs) Hey, when you're done with those dishes, honey, husband, get to that bedroom. We're going to talk about something. Amen. I mean, why else would he say the man has no power over his body but the wife. When's the last time a wife exercised that dominion? The single folks are smiling. Married folks are like, hmm. Bad day to be on the front row. Why else would Paul say, wives, you have dominion. State your claim. Yeah. But I think sometimes wives like, no, your job is to pursue me. I'm exhausted. You you don't want to be caught. <laughs> I'm telling you, wives, if you would like, if your husband came home and you were like, hey, um, yeah, we're switching roles tonight, and I'm I'm the aggressor, I think he'd be like, I'd believe those UFOs are talking about because they done took my wife. <laughs> This is an invasion of the body snatchers because you are not my wife. But this is Bible. So you have permission to want to take and exercise your dominion over your husband's body, not to do the dishes. Some of you women have mastered dominion in the honeydew list. Got quiet again. (laughs) Honeydew lists are okay if you say, all right, honey, I need you to do This, the laundry, I need you to do uh, the grass. I need you to do the dishes. I need you to do me later. That's an acceptable honey-do list. But I would also counsel you women to make sure the first three things get done first. (laughs) Otherwise, they may not. All right. Verse 5 really summarizes it. Defraud ye not one another. So this is a strong word. It means that without intimacy, there's a fraudulent marriage. Hear me very carefully. You can be best friends. I got lots of best friends. I don't have sex with any of them. Hey, that's my girl. That's my man. You have sex? Well, you know, we did once um, last year. All right. Yeah, this is a broken marriage. I got lots of friends all over the world. I only have sex with one of them. Because any marriage without intimacy is fraudulent somebody in that covenant came into the covenant under the terms and conditions that we would be regularly intimate. And so when there is no regular intimacy, there's a violation of terms and conditions, and that's, that's fraud. That's why the word is used. Do not defraud you one or the other, except it be with consent for a time. Uh, six months is not the time. I don't even think six weeks is the time. I don't think six days is the time. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're perfectly content without having, you're married and you have these conjugal rights, this is your right and duty under God, and you're not interested, why not? That's what I want to focus on. Why are we not interested? Why are you content to go six weeks without intimacy? When our single folks are like, you are kidding me. There are married folks in this church that will go six weeks Honey, there's folks that go six months. There's folks that might go 18 months. There's some folks that might have been six years. And this is why I want to put a reality into you single folks. Marriage fixes nothing. Amen. Marriage brings everything to the surface. And if you don't deal with it when it's brought to the surface, you can be married 10 years and you had not had sex in the last two of them. If you're married and you're not interested why not? If you're married and you view kissing as as weird or dumb, why? If you view the act of intercourse as weird and gross, why? Who taught you that? Who told you? Just like God asked Eve, who told you? Who told you kissing is weird? Who told you intercourse was dirty? Who told you to be embarrassed of your body? Who told you it was wrong to pursue your husband around the house? Who told you? Who told you these weird things? It's a heart condition. Something has rewired you. Something has reprogrammed you contrary to the word of God. Sex is for marriage alone. We ought to be, married folks, ought to be having the best sex. We ought to be masters at it because we get to do it all the time and we have God's help. God don't help the pagan fornicate. A demon does. Demon-possessed people get good in the bedroom with the help of demons. That's why they're lustful we ought to be the best because we have God's help. It represents Christ in the church. It's a, great, it's a great mystery, this intimacy we have. Don't defraud yourselves except to be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, not anger, emotion, resentment, and you know, I'm ignoring you. Then come together again, lest Satan tempt you for your incontinency. So look, marriages without sex draw Satan's attention. Marriages without sex draw Satan's attention. Didn't say the devil, not a little demon. That's capital S right there. Sexless marriages draw demonic attention. Porn will enter in. It'll enter back in. Secretaries start flirting. Cute guy at the gym will start flirting. It'll come. If you don't take care of your spouse, you'll draw satanic attention and the devil will begin to groom somebody who'll be more than happy to give your spouse everything they've told you they need. And now maybe they resist that and they beat it, but why would you even set them up for the trial? Why, why even put them in a place where they have to go through that trial? They're supposed to be able to safely trust in you. Amen. But I speak this by permission and out of commandment, for I would that all men were even as myself. That's evidence that Paul was single. I know somebody shared with me the argument that maybe he was at one point married because Pharisees were typically married and he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but it's evident from all of chapter seven, he is not married anymore. Even 2 Corinthians goes on to say, have we not power to lead about a wife? Which means he didn't have one then, but he still had the authority to. So we've got to ask ourselves, and this is the heart of it, if your heart is not interested in intimacy when it was something you had to fight to keep your hands from once upon a time, what changed? Because it all comes back to the mind, the will, and the emotions. Something in your childhood kind of taint you, something, something in your college days. Uh, you got to figure out what it is, because we are designed to be sexual creatures. There is a grace to be a eunuch. And that's what Jesus said. Some are eunuchs for the gospel's sake. And how you know if you're called? You never think about sex. If you can go months, even as a woman, months and not think about sex, you're not called to be. Uh, uh, if you can go months without thinking about sex, you're probably a eunuch. If you can't fathom the thought, me never being married, never getting to have sex, you're probably not a eunuch. Eunuchs just don't care for it. It's just not on them. They just, even with all their hormones, they just no. I just rather serve God. Here's the other deal. If you are a eunuch you're burning the gospel candle at both ends. So let's not mistake being a, a biblical eunuch for I was hurt twice and I don't care about people anymore. That's a defense mechanism. You've got to figure out Why aren't you interested? When you're designed to be sexual, you're designed to enjoy it. Your parts are designed to enjoy it. Your parts are designed to enjoy it. All the nerve endings. I read a very graphic neuroscience book on the whole issue. I wasn't looking to get into it, but in one of his chapters, he talked about the neuroscience of the orgasm, and I went, "All right, that's way more information than I." But that's fearfully and wonderfully made. It's like, what? Really? Huh? Wasn't expecting it, so don't think of me of a perv. Like, I'm going to get a book on sexual neuroscience. Wasn't looking for it. It was in the chapter. But once I was there, I was like, God, read it. Now I'm finishing the book, you know? (laughs) God designed those bundles to work the way they do, the nerve bundles. And your soul says, like, no, I don't want it. That's how powerful the stubborn soul is. No, I don't want it. No. Fix your soul. Now, let's go to Song of Solomon real quick. I got a PowerPoint uh, just so we can look at these together. These are about 10, 11, 12 verses. This is the New English Translation. I preach from these set of verses every couple years just to awaken our marriage. And I, I do these not to be titillating, not to get you know, sexual giggles out of you. But if we're having sexual issues, to be able to see what the Word of God says, we can fix the problem with the Word of God and I'll stop and give a brief commentary on each of these verses. And again, I'm not trying to uh, set any of our single folks up into some kind of sexual temptation. Just be mindful that we're dealing with marriages this morning that aren't working as they should. All right? So Song of Solomon, New English Translation. Oh, this is the woman. Verse, Chapter 1, verse 2. Oh, how I wish you would kiss me passionately. That's the woman talking. Now, ladies, when's the last time you said that about your husband? She's not saying kiss me like grandma did. Kiss me like I used to kiss my great uncle George. Now, she says how I wish. uh, We kind of see it in the movies. Shut up and kiss me. When are you going to shut up and kiss me? How I wish he would kiss. You would kiss me passionately for your lovemaking is more delightful than wine. This is the woman talking. She is thinking about lovemaking. She's excited about it. No, wait, wait, wait. This is as much the word of God as John 3.16. This is as much the divine counsel of the eternal Godhead as Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is the word of God. One of those verses is for salvation. One of those is for healing, John Acts 10.38. This one fixes your marriage. Amen. Your lovemaking is more delightful than wine. She is having a good time in bed, and she wants him to come along and jumpstart the whole process again. Kiss me passionately because i got to go out the door and be a gone all day. No. Kiss me passionately because we're going to jumpstart something here. Amen. Do we want to change our name to Engrafted Word Church of Christ? Because I, I just I really feel that strong Church of Christ vibe coming off you guys right now. This is a good service that you guys can practice your amens in. Amen. <laughs> all right, you all got here because your parents had sex. Some of your parents really enjoyed it, they made lots of you. Some of you is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and you're the result. But we're all here because of sex, and God smiles when we like it, because that's what He designed for it. Like I'm a dad. It's weird for me to think about my kids getting married and being intimate. But when they do get married, and get intimate, I want them to have an awesome love life. So God is pleased when it works the way he designed it to. Verse four, draw me after you. Let us hurry. May the king bring me into his bedroom chambers so I can nag at him and get him to pick those socks up. This is not home economics, a song of home economics. This is a song of Solomon. This is a song of Solomon. This is a lover's song. And actually, if you read it in the New English Translation, it goes back and forth between what he is saying and what she is saying. And so I've pulled out all of her statements. All right? Draw me after you. Once again, she's initiating this thing. It's perfectly acceptable for the wife to initiate things. And you're not a, a whore or a harlot or loose for doing it. It's your marriage. Your husband can feel rejection, too. You know, if the Holy Ghost can be grieved and be rejected, don't you think your man can feel rejected? Yeah. You reject your man enough, he will shut down business. If he doesn't feel appreciated, doesn't feel like you desire him, he, it'll hurt him. Amen. Men can be hurt. And always putting him down and always resisting his advances and, and always just being rude, he'll eventually just give up. You will verbally emasculate your man. And then you'll complain that you don't have a man. But, sweetie, that's on you. Tell me, oh, you whom my heart loves. This is the key to all of it. When your heart loves as it ought to love, you want to be intimate. When your heart loves your husband, when your heart loves your wife as it ought to, as it ought to, you can't help but want to be intimate. It's a natural extension of that romantic, intimate love. Obviously, it's a different kind of love you have for your kids. It's a different kind of love you have for your parents or grandparents, for your, you know, your hero in the faith or for your mentor. This is a reserved, special kind of love. And just because you say you love doesn't mean you know how to love. But when your love is right, love is of the heart, which means it involves mind, will, and emotions. When your love is right, all this will be coming out of your heart. Kiss me passionately. Let's go make love. Let's hurry up, go to the bedroom chambers. Amen. My beloved is like a fragrant pouch of myrrh spending the night between my breasts. This again is the woman. She says, my husband, he's just going to sleep all night on my chest. Now, I don't know if that's reasonable because, you know, you might get sweaty or it might get hotter. or she might have trouble breathing if you got a big old head, you know. <laughs> but the point is, he don't have a she doesn't have a problem <laughs> with him laying his head in between her breasts. And think about this. This is inspired by the Holy Ghost it is graphic and it is sacred and beautiful. And this is her still talking. I I love my husband laying his chest, his head on my chest in between my breasts. This one's really graphic. His left hand caresses my head and his right hand stimulates me. There ain't no other way to interpret that. I have no commentary. We'll just let you (laughs) just read it. Single folks, you just say, I have to do laundry this afternoon, I have to do laundry this afternoon. (laughs) I'm gonna go for a jog, and then I'm gonna come home and take a cold shower. (laughs) That song of Solomon, she's writing again. She's the one talking about it. I mean, think about it. How full of it is in your heart that you write it down on paper. She's not embarrassed. And her response is she's talking to her girlfriends. I'm not saying we need to start talking about our love life. I mean, That's not the doctrine we're taking away here. But I just want you to say she's not ashamed or embarrassed. Dr. Barclay, my pastor, points out when he's talked on marriage, it's really weird to him that you guys can get, he says this, you guys can get naked and have sex, but you can't even talk about it. This girl's talking about his left hand does this, his right hand does that. Mm, God bless America. God bless Israel. God's blessing something. (laughs) Hoorah. Oy they Whatever they do. All night long on my bed, I long for my lover. I long for him, but he never appeared. She went to bed hoping for sex, and he got busy. Caught up at work, or he's the king. He's busy doing something. But she's longing for him. She didn't go to bed wearing nine yards of flannel in August. I mean, wear flannel if you want, but either you look like a lumberjack or like a public a picnic uh, blanket. Flannel ain't sexy. It's not even cute. I know you girls get it on Pinterest. It ain't cute. Guys don't look like, oh, that's cute. I was like, no. Unless you're carrying an ax or we're going on a picnic table, there needs to be no flannel involved. <laughs> Whoever thought of flannel lingerie living in a log cabin? Scarcely had I passed them by when I found my beloved. I held on to him tightly and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house, to the bedroom chamber of the one who conceived me. That's the way to get revengeance on your parents. When you go home for Christmas, you know, and you got to share, you know, they give you their bedroom. You say, hey, remember all the time you were a jerk to me when you we were in high school? Guess what we did last night in your bed. How else do you read that? I would not let him go until I took him to my mama's house, into the bedroom. Now she's thinking about mama having sex making her. This book is all about sex. She's not weirded out about it. She it sounds like she gets home she says, mama, can we use your bedroom for a little bit? We're going to go Church of Christ if you guys don't loosen up. (laughs) Once again, we see the woman, she's pursuing her husband. Again, I'm not in a doctrine of the women should pursue everything, but we are in a ditch. Women feel like they shouldn't be sexual creatures. You are sexual creatures. Amen. And I want you to see from the word of God, she's the one initiating a lot of this. And she's excited about it. She's proud of her man. When you're proud of your man, you don't run him down. Amen. You brag about him to all your lady friends. Amen. Amen. And you brag about him to him. Awake, O north wind, come, O south wind, blow on my garden so that its fragrant spices may send out their sweet smell. May my beloved come into his garden and eat delightful fruit. A Hebraism for saying, basically, may he come among me, uh, come into our bedroom, and I am his fruit, and our, our, our lovemaking is a garden. May he come among us. May we come together and make love. Hey, lots of Hebraisms in the Old Testament. O maidens of Jerusalem, I command you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him that I am lovesick. Once again, her heart is right towards her husband. We got lots of verses for men pursuing their wives. But it's okay for women to be lovesick. This isn't, I miss him. This is, I'm lovesick. I want to be with him. I want to be intimate. His mouth is very sweet. He is totally desirable. She like turns valley girl there. He is totally desirable. His mouth is very sweet. She does not have an aversion to kissing. She likes his mouth. This is my beloved. This is my companion. Oh, maidens of Jerusalem. Again, she's talking to her girlfriends about this. To us, it's perverse to sit down and say, a bunch of girlfriends hanging out, I love totally kissing on my husband. And yet that's scripture. I just can't wait for him to get home because the first thing he does, he kisses me and it's good. It ain't like granny's kissing. It does not kindle wrath in my heart. It (laughs) It kindles other things in my heart. And then I grab him and we go to mama's bedroom. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters of grapes. Uh, This is the husband obviously talking. I want to climb the palm tree. Okay. And take hold of its fruit stalks. (laughs) I think that means he's about to get aggressive. Grab a hold of her. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes, and may the fragrance of your breath be like apricots. May your mouth be like the best wine flowing smoothly from my beloved, gliding gently over our lips as we sleep together. This is some aggression towards intimacy. You know, if you want your husband to be aggressive, uh, be catchable. Amen. We do tire eventually. Amen. Amen. <laughs> We're not 22 like we used to be. Some of you, you're like a multiple of 22 by seven or eight. <laughs> you you run too long, his hover round will run out of batteries. And that little blue pill will have worn off. And so. (laughs) Chapter eight, verse three says it again. His left hand caresses my head and his right hand stimulates me. This verse is quoted twice. That should tell you something. Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her beloved, the beloved to her lover under the apple tree? I aroused you. So this is the woman to her husband. Under the apple tree, I aroused you. There, your mother conceived you. Why are they making love every place they were conceived? <laughs> to me, that is weird. That is a Jewish thing I don't get. But the last thing I want to have is a talk with my mom and dad as to where they made me at. And then me think, hey, let's go christen that spot again. <laughs> Under the apple tree, I aroused you. There, your mother conceived you. Why are we making out under mom and dad's apple tree? But that's what they're doing. Maybe there's something there. I got no spiritual wisdom for this. I have no understanding, revelational insight. The old school theologians try to say this was all Christ in the church. That ain't Christ in the church. No. How do you principalize making love under an apple tree? (laughs) Ain't nothing theological about that. She who bore you was in labor of childbirth. So we see, again, the wife is pursuing her husband a bit, and she aroused him. I think maybe he just won't take another nap or picnic, and they're under the apple tree, and she's like, oh, no, I know why I brought you here. This is where your mama made you. And so she took the initiative. But I want you to see all this is in the Song of Solomon, the beauty of intimate love, and it gives us permission to enjoy sex. Some of you, maybe you have a sexless marriage because you feel dirty with it. It's not what these verses say. These verses painted as beautiful. This is poetry. They're writing these letters back and forth. We are reading their intimacy 3,000 years later. Their sex life, their foreplay, their their sexual appetite is on display for us to talk about in the house of God. And furthermore, we've not grieved the Holy Spirit talking about sex in this way. We've read the same word of God that goes on to talk about, for God so loved the world. The The same word that says, and God said, it is finished. We're in the same continuous stream. Right. Amen. Except we're dealing with another facet of our life. It's not the healing facet. It's not the evangelism facet. It's not the finances facet. It's the sexual intimacy facet. But if there's a sexless marriage, it's because a soul is broken. A mind is not renewed. Emotions aren't tweaked. A will is not submitted. And so we've got to adjust this. And hopefully these verses, especially out of this translation will show you there's a liberty and a permission to enjoy intimacy. Because if you don't fix it, the devil will always put you on trial. And why? how could you care for your spouse and make them always suffer that way? And if they fail and they get into an adulterous relationship, or even just an, an emotional adulterous relationship without the sex, even though they'll be wrong, there'll be some shared blame. Because either as a husband, you were mean to her, pushed her away. As a wife, you were neglectful. You refused to resolve some issue from your past. You've got to fix this. This is the only time in our existence we get to be intimate like this. Amen. 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 We don't get to be this way in the resurrection. We don't get to make love in the resurrection. There's a lot more we can say about this, but I wanted to throw this out there. We could talk about... Decorum in the bedroom. We could talk about preferring one another, what to do when your spouse is sick and you want to make love or your wife's recovering from having a baby and the doctor says nothing for six weeks. We don't have time to cover all that, but I just want you to see this is why we don't fornicate. This is why we don't make out with someone we're not married to. This is why we don't kiss before we're married. You can call it legalistic if you want to. I just want to glorify God. All these girls and guys that sleep around so much, they're not happy. They're miserable. They, they ride from rebound relationship to the next rebound relationship to the next rebound relationship. And before long, they've had so many partners. Yeah, CDC wants to sit down and test their blood. That's not what we want to be. All right, we learn anything?